Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. I'm sitting in as your host, Brad Lominick. We're going to hear from Ray and Jimmy Miato. This is going to be a conversation to get the moleskin out. And uh, many of you have heard or know of Jimmy Miato. He is the president and CEO of Compassion International. And Compassion is arguably one of the most influential child development organizations in the world and releasing kids from poverty, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. That's that's their goal. And we, we are uh, fans of Compassion International. We love the work they do. Bayside Church and Thrive have been partners with Compassion and friends with their team and with Jimmy for many, many, many years. Uh, I believe Bayside Church, uh, you know, thousands of kids have, have been released from poverty through the uh, partnership with Bayside and with sponsors that have been created through the uh, church and through the Thrive Conferences. So we're big fans and uh, we love Jimmy. And this is, uh, again, one of those conversations that is going to help you as a leader, but also will uh, challenge you to think differently even about uh, the way we approach how we're impacting the world. So stay tuned. It's coming up real quick. Just a reminder to go ahead and uh, subscribe and rate and review this podcast. We, we love that you're on the journey. We love you're listening. We love that you're tuning in. So go ahead and do those things that you do with podcasts and also share this with a friend. We want, uh, we want others to know about not only the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast, but also about the work of Compassion International. So we would love for you to forward this on, to share, to, to uh, you know, send a link to, uh, to your friends through a text or mini text or through social media. And all of the, uh, all of the resources you'll need, you'll find at thriveconference.org, thriveconference.org. You can also watch this conversation on YouTube or at thrivecommerce.org through the Thrive webinar series. So check that out if you're more of a video person. But for those of you who like the audio because you're on the treadmill or you're out mowing the grass or you're doing the dishes or on your commute, well, this is for you. So let's jump in. And again, Jimmy Miato, the president and CEO of Compassion International. Jimmy is a Harvard Business School graduate. He was the former president of the Willow Creek Association. He's a leadership junkie, but he's also a child... And a, and a children junkie. If 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 uh, if if somebody was out there who you cut and they bleed leadership, they bleed Jesus, and they bleed a passion for kids and for rescuing kids and helping release kids from poverty. That's Jimmy Miato. So I know you're going to enjoy this conversation that Ray Johnson has with Jimmy Miato. I want actually I want to have a conversation about something that's really important. There's a principle in sports talk radio called overreaction Monday. And what happens is this. Um, anytime a team wins, they overreact. They're going to the Super Bowl. If a team loses, um, they overreact and it's time to fire everybody. And they actually call it overreaction Monday. Um, when COVID hit, and I've been reading a lot of predictions about the future of the church, and it seems like for some reason, a lot of people that are trying to think about the future of the church are in overreaction Monday. And I mean, it is everything from nothing's going to change, will be business as usual, to on the other extreme, every single thing's going to change and give up ever even trying to restart your church. And uh, I can, I want to tell you my current thinking on this. And my current thinking on this is like most things, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And which means at some point, Disneyland is going to be open and packed with people. That will happen at some point in the future. The same thing would be true with churches at Bayside. We are not using the word reopening. We are using the word rebuilding because it's almost like we got to rebuild, relaunch the entire church. Um, and and there is a there's an organization that has come out with something to help on the other side of that because prior to COVID, almost all American churches were good at one thing but not the other. They were good at attendance, but they were not good at engagement. And they measured success only by the number of people in the seats instead of the number of people engaged, connecting, serving, being followed up, all of that kind of stuff. And, um, and so here's what I want to do. Occasionally, I run into something that is so good, it makes ministry better. And we actually use this at Bayside. So I want to recommend a resource 
that's going to help with this. And it's called Serve HQ. Okay. And the entire goal of these folks is to help churches get better, not at just attendance, but at actual engagement with people, really equipping and engaging the entire church, okay? They have three resources, and we use all three of these at Bayside, and the resources are this. They have a resource called Huddle Up, Trained Up, and Follow Up. This is Brooke. Huddle Up is their resource, which you can do mass email, mass texting. They've got safe group chat for everybody in your ministry. And so they've got a whole thing. Basically, that is designed just to engage people. Okay. They have a second resource called Trained Up. And that resource offers online classes for new members, new volunteers, and developing leaders. We are actually getting, we are starting a conversation about this. I interviewed Levi Luskell, and you'll see that in a couple of weeks. And they are doing something massively successful in their church. They are offering an online membership class for people to connect to and join their church who've never been to the physical plant. A brilliant idea. Okay. The trained up section will help you offer classes like that for people that maybe have never even met you or people that have been attending, but have never engaged. And the third one is this as follow-up, which is automating next steps for new volunteers, new guests, and new members. And folks, during this crazy season, SurveyHQ is a great organization, and I actually think it's helping us at Bayside get better at engaging. Or another way to put this is this. There are most churches that are going to have a great future are going to have to get better at the 167. That's a magic number. There are 168 hours in the week. The American church spends insane amount of resources on one hour getting people in a worship service, okay? Imagine what could happen to our people, our impact on them, the gospel, and equipping and engaging them if we access the 167. Serve HQ is a great resource for helping you make that happen. Uh, we actually put a link to this on our base on our Bayside Thrive website, so you can go there and check that out. Um, it's just occasionally I run into something where I go, this may help people get better at the stuff that most of us need to get better at. We just need a little help on that road, so that'll be good. First of all, welcome to the podcast, everybody. We're glad you're here. Um, the we have been doing this podcast now for a long time, and I have never asked you to do this ever. This is a first. Um, I'm going to ask you after this, listen to this podcast to blow the sky high, to like this one and to send it to everybody to post it on all your social media channels. Um, the, I mean, thousands of you are going to hear it direct. And then if you can spread that around, um, the reason is this, um, in a minute, I'm going to interview Jimmy Miato and there is a worldwide crisis with kids and COVID that I think if enough churches got in the game, especially around Christmas, uh, we could solve a massive crisis. And so I have never asked you to do this before, but I think it'd be a really great thing at Christmas time to unleash compassion and to solve a massive problem. Um, now, I actually believe this. If enough people stick together, you can solve anything. You know, for example, Bob Ballion's on this and uh, Bob uh, let us know at Midtown when schools stopped meeting in California, all these kids kept meeting because they went online. And, um, and basically every kid in the suburbs had Chromebooks and all of this kind of stuff. And what happened is Bob calls me and says, man, we got 300 kids in the most disadvantaged area of Sacramento and they're locked out of school. These kids arguably need education more than everybody else needs education. And they don't, they don't have any way to get, they, they got no computers. They're not even going to school right now. Um, and they don't have Wi-Fi in their homes anyway, because they can't afford it. So we called an emergency Zoom call. I think we broke a record. We had 3,000 people on a Zoom call describe the problem and get this in 13 minutes. People gave a quarter billion dollars. Okay. We didn't keep a dime of that. All 300 of those kids got now have Chromebooks. We bought Wi Fi hotspots for their family and prepaid a year of Wi Fi. So all of those kids are back in school, all triggered by Bob Bayan and Midtown knowing there was a need. And then what we did is we rallied a whole bunch of people and took down a massive social problem in 13 minutes. Okay. We're hoping a similar thing happens today and that this thing catches fire and generates something. Um, we're not talking 300 kids. We're talking 70,000 kids. 
uh, who are in a much more disadvantaged area than the kids in Sacramento, California. And so we'll come back to that in a second. Um, the I've had people sending in questions and my phone's been blowing up and our social media stuff's blowing up. Um, matter of fact, the pastor sort of summarized it for everybody when he called me um, he called me last week and said, hey, given all the shutdown stuff that's going to happen, what are you guys at Bayside doing? And what are you saying? And he said, I've got to decide what to do with my church. And I said, we are doing two things. Number one is we are staying open um, and we are giving people options they need. Uh, but number two is this, we are communicating to our church and our community why we're doing what we're doing. And so what I said to him is, uh, what I said to him is, um, our, our, our comments to the media and to our church have been this, just like Costco, just like Southwest Airlines, just like most supermarkets, um, we are giving people options that they need, but we are keeping them safe at the same time. There are some churches that are basically going, hey, we are going to ignore all the safety protocols. We have a right to meet. And I explained to our church this weekend, maturity is balancing rights and responsibilities. And I said, we have rights. You know, we've got constitutional rights to gather and worship, okay? However, immature people only care about their rights mature people and hopefully Christians will wake up and be mature enough to go, we should give our people options that they need, but we should do it in a way that is safe. In other words, we have a responsibility to keep the medical community safe, to keep elderly people safe, to keep at-risk people safe, to keep first responders safe and healthcare workers and doctors and nurses. And so we have put a whole bunch of things at place in Bayside where we've going, okay, we will do more services. We've got around tables. Uh, they have to check in. We check them when they get in. Uh, we require masking coming in and out. And we have some very right-wing people very mad that we would even do that kind of stuff. I'm usually going, they're just, and we have people on both sides that are immature because they only care about one of the two. And I think the only people that have a vibrant, healthy future are people that balance their rights and responsibilities. And so um, if that helps, let us know. We can give you what we have said because how we explain this to our church and our community is going to, for example, we had a call from the media and, and the media heard it about an event we were doing. The reporter, um, we thought, oh, this is gonna be a hit piece on Bayside. The reporter says to the Bayside guy talking to him, he goes, oh, he goes, he, the direct quote, he said, I'm in awe of your church. He goes, you guys are meeting so many needs in this community. He goes, I don't know how you find time to do it all. And I went, this is a, the ch when the church is the church, nothing's better. So, hey, and today I want to welcome our guest, Jimmy Miato. So, hey, welcome to the podcast, man. Glad you're here. It's great to be with you, Ray, as always. Life-giving. Yep. Hey, the uh, so thrilled you're here and you're in your office back at Compassion, right? <laughs> Yeah, but alone. So uh, we're <laughs> sheltering in place just like everybody else. But every once in a while, I'll come into the office for something like this. That's good. Hey, and first question, you and your wife doing okay? Family all right? Yeah, we are. My wife and I, kids and grandkids, we're all fine. Although I was telling you earlier, my parents did test positive for COVID, but uh, my mom's recovered. And yep. my 90-year-old dad, he's... Uh, Toward the tail end of it, doing really well. So we think he's gonna he's gonna um, be resilient enough to push the virus back and move on. That's good. The um, man, glad to hear it. Uh, hey, so Jimmy, uh, we're gonna roll through some stuff, and then I'm gonna ask everybody to take some action steps today. Which I, this this is a first in a long time of doing this leadership <laughs> podcast. Um, I want to back up a little bit. Um, you had an incredible career. At one point, you were in the Olympics, correct? <laughs> yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago, but yeah, 88 year, eight, 1988. Okay, so what? tell us about that. What was that like? And what did it feel like to be an Olympian? Well, I mean, it was obviously a lifelong dream. I saw the 72 Olympics in, uh, in Munich as a third grader living in Nicaragua, and I was smitten by the Olympic movement. So I started training then, organizing high jump and long jump and race competitions during recess in elementary school. And by the time I was in sixth grade, I was able to jump over my head. And, and then that just continued. I loved all the events. So I did the decathlon. And uh, that's the 10 event thing that uh, 
yeah, Bruce Jenner did. And so it was just a dream come true, truly, to walk in that stadium, 100,000 people, and uh, to participate with some of the world's best athletes was unbelievable. It truly was a dream come true. Yeah, that, Jimmy, that's cool, man. You and I have something in common. You were at the Olympics and I watched them on TV. So I'm sure there's some <laughs> connection there. Um, and then I was at Willow Creek when I lived in Chicago as a professor. And, and then you were at Willow Creek. And then you took their Global Leadership Summit and blew that sky high. Um, the, so my first question on this one is, um, you obviously felt called to building and strengthening leaders. Okay. Um, talk about your call to that. Why? Because you're still passionate about that. Yeah. Well, it's the same passion that drives me here. Compassion as well. And it, interesting. I mean, you mentioned the Olympics, but that's where I got my call to serve pastors, to serve the church. Uh, when I was there at the Olympics, I was, I went to a prayer meeting and the pastor of the world's largest church invited us athletes after he prayed for us to come to his church. So I went and I got to hear the sem uh, went to a seminar after church of the church revolution in South Korea and South and North Korea started at the same place right after the Korean war, which by the way is where compassion started as well, South Korea. And then a church renewal movement. I mean, it was like looking at acts two, but in our time and to see what's happened in South Korea, when they went from just a handful, one or two, three percentage of Jesus followers to 27% within a couple of generations was amazing. And that's when I just felt the Lord say, you know, inside my heart, fill me with this passion to want to serve his church and serve the leaders that lead his church. And it was five months after that, that I visited Willow Creek, February of 1989. It was 60 below zero wind chill. And I can still close my eyes and see the thousands of people that were walking in to the midweek service Wednesday night uh, for worship. And then to find out to make the weekend uh, available for a more evangelistic type service to invite their friends to, man, it was like I saw the same move of the Holy Spirit that I saw in, in Seoul, South Korea, but in an American context. And then as the Lord would have it, I was able to join um, that team there. And our, our, our heart, our passion was to see every church thrive in their context. And we knew that the way to change a church was, in fact, to invest in and change the leader. And our strategy was real simple. You change the church, you can see that church change. Yeah, I'm sorry, you change the leader, you can see that church change. You see that church change, it can change the community. And you see enough of that happen, you can see what happened in South Korea happen again and again and again. And uh, and even my ministry here at Compassion, change a leader, change a church, change a church, change a children's ministry, change the community. So it, it, for me, it's very congruent with my calling to serve his church. Just here at Compassion, it's to serve his church in some of the toughest regions in the world to serve some of the most vulnerable children and youth in the world. Yep. So you have this incredible run and the Global Leadership Summit blows up beyond anybody's dreams. Yeah. And yeah. in the middle of that, okay, you get this call to Compassion International to become the new president. Um, and to do that, you have to follow a legend, which you know, <laughs> my, one of my theories about life is follow a loser, not a legend. Um, so you, <laughs> you know, talk about how how did God lead you to compassion? I'm glad he did, by the way, because I've always loved this organization. Well, and, you know, adding to your point, successions sometimes, well, a lot of times do not go well. There are not a lot of success stories. And you're right. Wes Stafford, the former president of and CEO of Compassion, is a legend. He's Mr. Compassion, which, by the way, he's still on staff. His calling didn't change. Uh, <laughs> seven years later, he's still advocating, championing and serving children and youth that are living in poverty through the church. So he's a kindred spirit. He's a brother of mine. Love him dearly. And I can tell you, I have not wasted one second wondering, do I have Wes's support? Uh, we are in this together. And I know that's a little bit odd. Usually they want the legend to not come back. And I was like, are you kidding me? His calling hasn't changed. Maybe his role will change a little bit but his calling's still there. So we're still partnering together in this thing. And I'll tell you, it was really hard. I thought I'd be at Willow and leading the summit the rest of my time. Uh, that's how I saw it playing itself out. I had no 
interest or in in leaving, I was serving the church in my calling, using my gifts. Why would I want to leave? I leave that. And I, I really felt that in many ways, coming to compassion was in the same calling, just more focused, where I'm coming back to where I grew up. Um, I, I was born in El Salvador. I competed for El Salvador in the Olympics. Uh, my parents, um, I'm one generation away from poverty. My mom grew up uh, learning and being taught how to keep a dirt floor clean. Uh, but she was a real adventuresome spirit. She met another adventuresome guy in my dad who was an engineer. And in 62 years of marriage, they have moved 41 times, if you can believe that. Wow. So before I celebrated my first birthday, I had already been to six different countries and 26 different homes, you know, eight different schools before graduating high school. So I moved a lot. But here was here was the connection to my call. My mom, because of her life, we were always involved in life of the poor. And because of my mom and dad's faith in Jesus, my family was my first church. My family was my first small group. And they always had us involved in the life of the local church. And so I could see the power and the impact of what happens when churches are working right to change their communities. And so that was my upbringing. And I was just like ready-made for what I saw in Seoul and Willow and to join up uh, with Willow to help every church thrive and to focus on leaders and serving leaders. Uh, and then now to do all of that, to come full circle to where I'm serving churches that in some, in one case, uh, there's a church that we're serving in a compassion program that's a half a kilometer walking distance from where I used to live. And I'm serving children that are the age that I was when I was living in these in these regions. So it's like all of that was training for me. And then God said, now I want you to help put a towel over your arm and serve churches that are in the toughest kinds of circumstances you could imagine. And I want you to help equip them to be able to serve the least of these that are around them. So um, that for me, it wasn't a different call. In fact, Wes said that. When Wes said, would I be open to having my name submitted? And he said, I don't get to be on the committee. I don't get to vote. I can suggest names, that's it. But he said, um, I'm just getting a sense in my quiet time that you're gonna, you're gonna come after me. And I was like, whoa, God hadn't told me yet. And uh, but I respected him so much that meant a lot to me. And it was, you know, about an eight month process. And it was, you know, just a lot of processing with him and Bill Hybels at the time, who was, um, you know, my leader back at Willow. So, you know, it, it, it truly is coming home for me um, to go back and serve the churches where I grew up in many of the countries where I grew up. Um, you also, as I remember, you had a really emotional conversation with your mom about your upbringing yeah. when you were installed. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned my mom was 86 years old now. Um, she was right at, uh, right at 80 when I came to Compassion just below. And she was able to be there at the baton passing when Wes passed, passed the baton to me. So we finished the ceremony. My mom was there. She came and stood in front of me and and just didn't say a word, didn't hug me, didn't say anything. She's just looking at me. And I was like, mom, are you okay? And then she hugs me, pushes back, tries to get a word out, can't, hugs me, pushes back three times, trying to get a word out and couldn't. And then she quickly hugged me and said, hablamos más tarde, which means we'll talk later. So the next day I went up to my mom and I said, mom, what's going on there at the end of that service? And uh, she said, you know, Jimmy, <clears throat> When someone grows up in poverty, they never think it's going to be an asset to their children. As a parent, you want to lift your children out of poverty. But I could see that me growing up in poverty and understanding what it is to be poor, to have one toy my entire adolescent life, um, put something in your heart that's become central to your life calling. I was so overwhelmed at how God redeemed my upbringing to guide your calling in life. And, uh, and I just wanted to say that. I just couldn't get the words out without crying. Um, and I can barely say it without, I didn't know you were gonna ask me that, but I can barely say it without um, the emotion welling up within me of her investment in me um, to have a heart and a love for the poor um, that Jesus models in scripture everywhere. 
Boy, I tell you, God uses everything. Yeah. It, thanks for th- thanks for sharing that. I I thought I'm going to ask him this. I, I I hope he's willing to go down that road. So I think that our the chat string just blew up on this thing. I mean, I, I just uh, <laughs> when you're with um, Ray, you never know where he's going to go. So you got to be ready. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of speaking of here, speaking of that, um, Compassion International. Um, it puts you in at its heartbeat. Like if, if I said to you, your one line answer, what's compassion international's purpose? What is it? Releasing children from poverty in Jesus name. That's it. Yep. And then, and then because of that, that means you're working in poverty stricken areas all around the world. Um, what a year ago, COVID hadn't hit. It is nine months later. What's happening in under-resourced communities? Yeah, it's a really tough deal. Um, the news cycle talks about what's happening in the United States and with plenty of reason, lots going on here or what's happening in Europe. The news cycle has not shifted to the developing world. No, you don't hear and, about it. And, and they are, however hard we're being hit by it, inconvenienced by doing meetings all day long, Zoom meetings and basements and all that, like I've been the last eight months and you guys as well. Um, But whatever that is, you got to multiply it by some ridiculously high number to have an understanding of the impact that's happening in the developing world. As we connect with our churches and we have 8,000 churches um, that we partner with. It's the only way we do ministry. It's a church equipping ministry. Holistic discipleship is the strategy, uh, but we focus it on children and youth living in extreme poverty. Um, so uh, and we minister to about 250 children and youth per church in that that are within walking distance of, of that church. So that's how we were doing our ministry. And then COVID hits and everything gets up, turned upside down. Uh, in the developing world, things, you know, when we talk about testing and treatment and tracing, I mean, they don't have the infrastructure to do that the way that we can do it here. Um, when you think about social distancing in the Kibera slums of in Kenya, seriously, we got six or to 10 people in one shack and six to 10 in the next shack and bathrooms are communal. You have to leave. Uh, and the vast majority of them uh, almost all of them are day laborers. So their reality is you go out and work that day, you earn a living that day, and you bring some food home that day. And maybe your family can eat for a few days. Then you go out and earn some more. It's a day by day situation. And now you can't go out. So you're as a parent faced with a horrible moral dilemma. I defy the stay at home. I go out trying to find food or money Maybe I get the virus that I don't understand, but I hear it's killing people and I bring that home to my family or I shelter in place and I watch my family starve. Just a few weeks ago, UNICEF came out with a statistic that due to COVID, that 10,000 children are dying from malnutrition and hunger because of the shutdown that COVID has provided in all these countries. And many of these countries, because they don't have the infrastructure to deal with the pandemic, they've taken very draconian steps, you know, in some cases to really lock down and and shut things down. Well, that means families are starving. And so we're not only seeing the first wave of impact of COVID, in our community of 2.2 million children, uh, we've had 8,000 cases uh, in the greater compassion family of the children or their brothers, sisters, or parents. So, you know, we've had 8,000 cases, 383 deaths. But then I asked a different question. What are the deaths in that same time period that are related to secondary effects? And that number was 532 deaths. Now, some of them were happening just because they always happen in a poverty sector, a poverty circumstance. But many of them were because of the secondary impacts of transportation systems being uh, uh, compromised, health systems being compromised. They can't get the, the, the malaria medicine or the malaria net supply and food chains have been disrupted. Um, the latest one just absolutely broke my heart of hearing of a woman who is pregnant, about to give birth, goes into labor, can't get to the hospital. So they find a truck. She's in the back of the truck, bouncing around dirt roads, trying to get to the hospital. Well, she didn't make it. 
and the baby dies. Another one, about six weeks ago, a little girl got bit by a snake. Usually you can take care of that. Couldn't get her to a hospital in time. Compromised infrastructure, she dies. So the, the primary and secondary effects of COVID uh, have just decimated the developing world. And for the first time in 30 years, because of it, the uh, World Bank is estimating that 150 million more people are going to be pushed back into living in extreme poverty by the end of next year. That means living on less than $1.90 a day. For almost 30 years straight, we have made progress as a global community in lifting people out of living in extreme poverty. It was in the 1990s, it was 1.9 billion. Pre-COVID, 385 million. And now by end of next year, for the first time, we're gonna have a reversal because of the economic effect of COVID in the developing world. And then you're t we're talking about vaccines and I'm, you're on the news and you're hearing about light at the end of the tunnel, light at the end of the tunnel, the vaccines are gonna be, they're coming, you know, let's hang in there. Well, you gotta say, hang in there for two or three years in the developing world. You know, when I look at the, the estimates of which countries are getting the vaccines first, it's the well-resourced world. You know, Philippines is hoping to have 1% vaccinated by the end of 2021. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Many of our countries, 30% vaccinated by the end of 2021. Um, and you don't get to herd immunity, as we know, till you get up to like 70% or so. So, yeah, so basically, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. It's just going to be around for a long time in the developing world. The light at the end of the tunnel, it's a very long tunnel for that. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so basically 30 years of hard fought progress got wiped out in nine months and yeah. the tunnel and it's going to get worse, not better across the next 24 months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A decade. They're saying longer term that it could be if we made 1.9 billion to 385 million, about a half a billion long term could end up going back into extreme poverty. 150 million by the end of next year. But it could wipe out a full decade of 30 years of progress wiped out, reversed. Yep. Is are you OK? So. You guys are the ones doing something about this. You're my favorite organization. I'm not saying that because you're here. I say it when you're not around. Now, you guys are my favorite organization in terms of diving into real life kids and rescuing them and doing it as efficiently as possible. Um, you, the COVID has had to impact your ministry compassion. Yeah. How's it impacted you guys? So on the program side, if you can't meet at the church, well, that's where our program was. 250 children and youth coming to the church and meeting. Um, sponsorship lasts about 11 years for us. And that's about 4,000 hours of contact time with that child and youth during their most at-risk years of their life. We can't do that anymore. So we had to take, we had about 100,000 workers that are serving in these 8,000 churches, and they became really a distribution army for food, primarily, uh, hygiene kits, uh, training, connecting with them uh, uh, emotionally and spiritually, serving them, uh, child protection training, uh, domestic abuse is going up when everyone's sheltering in place, um, tempers flare, kids are the ones that pay the price. So in, in these eight months, uh, since COVID hit um, in a serious way, um, we had to reverse our program and take the program to the kids. Yep. So that's what we're doing. And since then, we've distributed 9 million multi-week family food packs oh, that so feed a family for up to a month, each food uh, kit. Um, and I say family because when when we go to visit the family, you just can't provide food for the child that's in the program because the brother's there and the sister's there and the dad and mom are there. You got to feed the whole family. Um, and so now we're actually serving 8.3 million people and feeding them. Uh, and it's the church. And, you know, it's just it's just such a beautiful thing to see the church saving lives um, spiritually and physically. There was a little girl in the DR and the, the church team was walking down the alley to get to her house. And a little girl comes out screaming when she saw them. Mom, mom, I told you the church would come. <laughs> and they're coming. I told you they would come. I told you. And the mom comes out 
and gets the and takes the food packet in. And I can't tell you how many times they have said, with tears streaming down their cheeks, yeah. we had just run out of food. Yep. And the church showed up with food. And what I loved about it, she didn't thank compassion. Because we're the silent partner to that church. There aren't compassion signs anywhere. That person said, please thank hermano so-and-so, brother so-and-so, and sister so-and-so that are at the church. She knew them by name. Thank the leaders so much for serving our family. It was a lifesaver. Yep. So so that, so we're distributing food and hygiene kits and training around the virus and what to do and protect masks and all of that. So that was on the program side. Now on the funding side, that had its hey, own excuse me, excuse me, hold on. Let me, let me back up for a second. So what I'm hearing is this. Um, you guys have de- are delivering 9 million meals so far, which is insane. Um, masks, kits, and everything else, all of which is stuff you've never done before to this degree. <laughs> no. So, so, so I'm assuming that Compassion International has have, people are giving you millions and millions and millions more dollars than you've ever had, which I would doubt. So at the same time, are you guys going through your own financial crisis? Well, here's what we did. The financial crisis occurred in the sense that on the funding side, when we, um, when we were in the spring and the early summers, when we connect our children with sponsors and the sponsors fund through the sponsorship, the ministry to the children through the church. So before that season in the spring and early summer, we ramp up registering, re- registering children in our programs. So we added 70,000 children leading up to March. And it takes about 60 to 90 days for us to find them a sponsor. Except for when March happened, events started being canceled. canceled. And we've had 1,200 events canceled, wiped out, off, because you can't meet. Concerts, conferences, tours, uh, things like that. We can't meet. So all of a sudden, we just ramped up our registrations and we have the highest level of unsponsored children in the program right when COVID shut down. And I'll never forget our CFO walking into the room and saying, now you understand the implications of what we just did. At $500 per per child a year, it's about 38 a month, it's about 500 per year. And we just registered 70,000 children and they cost just as much as a sponsored child. That's about a 35, $40 million issue that we now instantly are taking on. And I was so proud of the team because there was never a debate. There was never any question that there was no way we were going to unregister a single child. Not going to happen. We have more options than they do. If we have a $40 million problem, we'll deal with that. But they don't have those kinds of options um, that we have. So we committed instantly that we would not unregister a single child and we'd care for them and their family. Then we took on that challenge and we stepped out in faith. And what we're seeing happen is we're seeing that the, that God is honoring that and the church is meeting us and the resources are coming in to care for those kids, to stand in the COVID year gap. We'll find long-term sponsors for them. That's what we do uh, when events can start opening up and stuff. But but we need folks to stand in the COVID year gap to cover that child, that $500 per that child for, for ministering to them and their family for this year. That's what we started to, to focus on. And, and Ray, it's been, I mean, it's been, Truly one of the most inspiring things of my life to see how people have been responding, the church responding to the need. Yep. So I remember a conversation we had early on about this because we're going, I mean, <laughs> there, the, there is a 70,000 kid crisis right now. And, and we started talking about that's the size of an average NFL football stadium. Yeah. The um, and it's almost bizarre because right now, every time you look at NFL games right now, you listen, you close your eyes, it sounds like the crowd's there, and then you open your eyes and all the seats are empty. Uh, they at least in California. Um, and and the and we, I start every time I see that now, I think there are 70,000 kids, they are outside the stadium, they are locked out, 
and we need to get these kids into the stadium, but we need to get them in fast. Yeah. And the NFL, the NBA, and all these folks, they are very passionate about getting people back in the stands just for financial gain, and I'm all for that. But to get kids in to save lives, that's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. And so talk about what you're doing because right now we have a lot of pastors nationwide listening, worldwide actually, listening to this. You guys have come up with an idea and I'm all in favor of this. We're doing this at Bayside of how to meet this need. Well, the thing is, we didn't come up with the idea. I mean, I for you know, I was very much impacted in my early leadership life by Henry Blackaby uh, before he passed. Uh, and he wrote a book called Experiencing God. And it's, it's I mean, the nut of it is God's always at work. Our job is to ask God to give us eyes to see where he is at work around us and then to join him there. And of course, he'll bless it because he's already there. So what happened was it started with a pro athlete who, um, you know, upon hearing about the 70,000 and linking that together with, hey, our average NFL stadium size is actually 69,400 and something, 70,000 essentially. We're not filling those stadiums. Why don't we fill and cover these 70,000 kids? And he stepped out in faith and said, I'm going to cover 2,000 children at 500 each. That was a million-dollar commitment. He said, God, just call me. I feel like we got to care for these kids. Let's fill up this stadium, and I'll start, and I'll cover 2,000 kids. And then someone else, you know, you know, said, another baseball player said, I'll cover 2,000 kids. Someone else said, I'll cover 10 kids. I'll cover 100 kids, 500 kids. And so it started building, and now we have – you know, from Kirk Cousins and Nick Foles and Carson Palmer and the, the you know, the twin brothers, Devin and Jason McCourty of the New England Patriots. And then on the baseball side, Chris, uh, Chris Davis and Nick Ahmed and, and Adam Engel. And then and now it's going to pro golfers are, are tuning in. Zach Johnson joined and Webb Simpson and Kevin Streelman, and Cameron Tringali and um, one NHL players. So these pro athletes are talking to each other and saying, Let's lead. We're not filling our stadiums. Why don't we fill this kind of stadium? Right. And it's just been catching on. And we just want to join God and what he's doing in their hearts. And now other churches, you know, have joined in, you know, Bayside, North Point, and Elevation. Uh, and uh, business leaders are joining. Just yesterday, I had a business, business leader uh, uh, text us and said, hey, um, and this is a business leader that had already given a million. And this business leader said, I need to do more. And committed to two more million. We got to fill this stadium. So we're about 20,000 of the 70,000. Still have yet 50,000 seats to go. But it, it's it's been an amazing uh, movement to see what God is doing. We just want to cooperate with it. Yep. And and um, when we talked about this about a month and a half ago, I remember the, I, you, we just had a long conversation about it. Because I was like, hey, look, we have Christmas Eve services. Okay. One of the things we're known for is unleashing compassion. So every year we have Christmas causes and we take a second offering on Christmas Eve and it go the money from that, we don't keep a dime, it goes to these causes. And and um and the but I said and 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 by the way I I actually think this we crossed a line this time I saw, this happened to me twice so far. I saw two people. I saw somebody in a store. I was actually in a Home, home Depot. And this guy comes walking up to me and he goes, hey, Ray. He goes, how you doing? I go, I go fine. He goes, hey, are we doing all the Christmas Eve services? I said, yeah, we're doing 47 of them, actually. And, and he said, and instead of asking me about the service, here's what he said. He said, what are the causes this year? Um. And I went, that is such a better sign than any. I want us to be known for what we make happen, not just what we believe. And and the and so the conversation we had with you, I said, hey, look, for all the pastors listening that are going to go, hey, I can do that on Christmas Eve. I can do this the second week in January. In other words, we will do a Unleash Compassion weekend, take a second offering, let people sign up. I said, could you develop a packet? Okay. And for folks watching this, and we will make a link to this so you can see this. Um, I'm going to show a video here because your packet just hit my office. Okay. So we shot a video of what's in it. And Jimmy, would you narrate for this what we're looking at? Yeah, this really tells the, tells the story of what um, 
uh, what God has been doing in the heart of these athletes. Many of them over the last few years, interestingly enough, have been to the field. So they've gone to visit the churches and visit their children and visit with their families. And, um, and, and so now they're trying to rally the troops to fill this stadium, this different kind of stadium. Uh, and then this packet gives you all the information you need to know about what's going to happen with the resources. What does that $500 for the next year for the child and their family, what does that provide them? And then support materials there. So you could, uh, uh, get other people involved and, and, and it gives you everything you need to kind of spread the word on social media or physically with some cards and, and packets. But it really does give you all you need to know. Um, and then there, there's a website that goes with this, really gives you everything you need to know to be able to take that next step. And let's help fill the stadium up. And these pro athletes, actually, they're saying, well, if we can lead this thing, let's see if we can't get churches involved and businesses and yeah, uh, and and we have a cool thing happening with FCA. They're going to be promoting it to all their fifty thousand huddles in high schools and universities, where they want these huddles to to you know cover a chair, you know, cover a family. See how many chairs that you can fill and and take care of children and their families. So that's a very exciting uh, piece of this as well. It's it's actually uh, happening as we speak. The planning of it. Um, so yeah, this kit kind of gets you started and points you all the tools you'll need to just, um, join God in what he's doing to care for these kids and families. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, I mean, you start thinking about that 500 bucks gets a kid into the stadium, saves their life, gives them a future, releases them a property, connects them to a church. Um, they, I mean, if somebody went, you know what? I go to Starbucks every day. I'm going to delay that. I'm not going to do that for the next year, which nobody will do that. But if they decided to, that's like four kids having an entire future. And, um, and so this, some of this stuff isn't hard and it's not rocket science. It's just take action. Um, the, and so, uh, so here's what I want to ask. I want to ask everybody on this to actually take some action. Okay. Um, and the first one is this, you need to know this. Number one is this, we are all in to help stand in the gap on this one. Um, we are using Christmas Eve services on some of our campuses to do this. Um, we will be giving people information. We will be handing them things saying, hey, pull this out. Um, and I love the phrase, I'll, we'll steal it right off the thing. This is a stadium that cannot remain empty. Okay. And we'll describe what's going on. We will give people a chance to give. Okay. We will give them something to fill out. The, the easiest way to do this. And right now, if you want to, if you're listening to this going, you know what? I don't run a church, but I would like to give to this. I would like to help fill the stadium. Okay. You, all you have to do is this text the word churches. Okay. To eight, Three three nine three. Okay. Matter of fact, grab your phone right now and do this. Okay. They won't subtract money out of your bank account, but it'll give you a chance to respond. So, right, unless you're driving, listening to this, grab your phone. Okay. And all you have to do is just text churches. And here's the number you text to eight three three nine three. I'm going to say it again. Eight three three nine three. Text churches, they will text you back and give you a whole bunch of options for how you can give or get people to do this. The other thing, so, and there's three groups of you that I want to talk to. Okay. Number one is this, if you're listening to this and you're going, Hey, I just, I'm part of this whole thrive thing. I, I'm part of this thing. I'm one, I'm just one of the, you know, 500,000 people that are at our conference and you're going, I don't really run an organization. Um, great. Here's what I want you to do. Make a difference yourself. Text churches to 83393. And you as a person can make a difference. I mean, we've had people give, you've heard Jimmy, we've had people give $3 million or you give $300. God will be thrilled if it's a sacrifice. Okay. So number one, if you're a personalist that, take that step. Secondly is this, lots of you leading this, you're small group leaders. Okay. You are small group leaders. Play them a section of this podcast and then invite them all right there to take out their phone and text churches to 83393. And you can multiply your impact by just doing that, okay? The third thing you can do is this. If you are a pastor, text churches to 83393 and just say, hey, I'm a, just, all you gotta do is text them, communicate with them saying, 
I'm a pastor and I would like to do a compassion Sunday at my church. This will be a whole different ball game um, because normally you're passing out kids to get them sponsored. This is an emergency situation, probably a great emergency where we're going. There are 70,000 kids that are in massive need of getting into a stadium right now. We could probably, if enough of us banded together, we could probably take this whole thing down by mid-January if we use Christmas or you do a Compassion Sunday for the first of the year, okay? Um, the And so number one is when you text that, you get a link to get involved and you will get everything you will need as a person or a church to donate. You'll also get all the resources you need to share that with your church. And if any of you are interested, if you go onto our Thrive website and communicate to us, I'd be happy to go on and do a separate, uh, a separate webinar with all of you of basically how to raise resources for a great cause. Um, this is the kind of thing I actually, we've been doing this, we've been doing a weekly compassion thing or a, or a yearly compassion thing every year for about 15 years. And I had a pastor say to me one time, aren't you afraid people are going to give to that instead of to your church? So your own giving is going out. Our giving has gone straight up for 15 straight years since we started doing this. I actually think what happens is your church starts attracting people who are generous and you become known as people that do generous things and you attract the kind of people that love to give and live to give, which basically fuels your own church's expansion and growth. So it's been a, it's a really neat thing. Jimmy, anything I'm missing or anything you would add to that? No, you covered it, Ray. Uh, I just, I just want to say really the only reason I feel like I'm here is to be a voice for the voiceless that can't be here uh, to tell their story of what's going on and to invite you in to how God is wanting to care for them. And I think he's calling his church to be the church uh, as a first responder to that kind of need that the world is not giving a lot of attention to right now. And that's always the case when the, when there's a crisis and the church is working right, the church are filled with the first responders. They have that first responder heart. So I just ask you to pray that prayer of, you know, what would God want you to do and to do no more, no less than that. Um, that's, that'd be my ask. Yep. And, and Jimmy, um, there are thousands of leaders that are listening to this. Yeah, a lot of them, man. This has been a rough year for them. Um, it 2020 has just been hard on all ministry leaders. Um, resignations are off the charts. Discouragements off the charts. I mean, all of the, it's been it's crazy. Um, can you encourage pastors and leaders listen to this right now, just with a word on leading through crisis? Because you've had the privilege of doing that in other settings and in your current setting. Yeah, well, I've, I'm now, this is like my 27th year of leadership, you know, first at the Willow Creek Association, now here at Compassion. And when I just started to review all the crisis that I've gone through, it was like, remember Y2K? And everybody was saying planes are going to fall out of the sky, computers won't work. And uh, so Y2K, that crisis. And then there was the tech bubble that burst right after that and a lot of pain around that. Then there was 9-11. And when you're in the conference ministry, as we were, and 9-11 happens and nobody wants to get on planes to fly anywhere, well, that's the problem. And that pain and crisis actually led us to start satelliting the summit. That was the pain that, that caused us to, to innovate. Um, and so then you mentioned earlier, the summit just you know grew exponentially after that because we were able to unlock a different strategy that the crisis helped bring upon us. So, and then after that, it was the financial meltdown of 08, which led to the recession, multi-year recession. And, and there are really two things when I think about crisis. One is uh, I learned a lot of things going through every one of those crises that I was able to bring to compassion. And about five years ago, we started putting away long-term cash reserves, uh, the Joseph principle of the Bible. And we didn't know what it was for, but we started building those reserves and that having those reserves there has given us the confidence in this crisis. Even when we're looking, staring down a $35, $40 million instant problem, we're, we're looking at that. Having those, those reserves are what has given us the confidence to say, we're not unregistering a single child. We're going to challenge the church. We're not going to take draconian measures and start cutting staff, which would leave compassion weak. 
at a time when the poor need us to be strong and stable. Now's not the time to be retreating. So having the, those kinds of reserves financially are what allow you to respond to a crisis, not overreact to a crisis uh, in, in ways that hurt your ministry long-term. And usually if there's a crisis, that's when people are hurting the most. So I say that not only for compassion, but that's when churches need to be strong. Churches are the ones that need to be standing in the gap when people are hurting as much as they are. And then I want to also talk about how I viewed reserves beyond just money reserves and margin. There's different kinds of margin. You know, investing in your staff and development, talent's a form of margin. People that can handle and are resilient, that's a form of margin. Um, relationships and loyalty and those that you serve, that that's a form of margin because they stick with you in a hard time. Uh, when you don't have relational margin, people are bailing on you, you know, jumping ship instead of all hands on deck. Let's, let's solve this together or, or um, uh, individual reserves, even health. If you're not healthy and there's no margin there and then hard times come, you feel it physically. Um, margin emotionally, margin physically, margin spiritually. So, uh, so that's on the preparation side. And so I feel like the Lord blessed us by leaning into the Joseph principle these last five years that are allowing us to give what the poor community needs, and that's consistency and stability. There's no way we could have pivoted our ministry in a month to turn them into this 100,000-person distribution army uh, if we would have been focused on who are we laying off, we just we would have been focused on that, not serving our families. So that's one. But then second is how to respond to a crisis. That's kind of leading up to a crisis. And you best prepare for a crisis years before it happens. Uh, but if you're in it, there's three things that get disrupted in a crisis that make everything the world seem upside down. And we were all designed by God to, to have three things in our lives uh, present for us to thrive. Uh, the first one's connection. Connection with God and connection with, with each other. We were designed for that. What did COVID do? Blew connections up. Now you got a social distance. Now you got to isolate. Uh, now we're sequestering and sheltering in place and all that. So we thrive. We miss connection. We need it. That was blown up. Number two. Uh, we, we tend to thrive when we live in good rhythms, good spiritual rhythms, good emotional rhythms, good talent development rhythms, work rhythms, rest rhythms. So when those rhythms are in place, you know, work in Sabbath, work in Sabbath, life is thriving and can be sustainable. Um, and then the third thing is, um, is control. Now, we often think of control as a bad thing, but control, self-control is actually a fruit of the spirit, as we know. Um, so we're designed by God to have connection, to have good rhythms, and to have self-control, to be able to thrive. And COVID blew every one of those up, or seemingly did. Connections blown up, rhythms blown up, and um, uh, and it seems like control. I can't control my life. I can't control uh, my ministry. Everything's out of out of whack. Um, and so then you sit back and you go, okay, yep, that that's that's what happened. But I am still connected to the Lord. And I don't at times need to be physically connected to someone. I can find other ways to stay connected. We're doing that right now. Um, and I can establish new rhythms. And those can be healthy rhythms in the new reality. I can do that. And by the way, because I'm leaning into that, I know I can't control this whole set of circumstance. Fine. But that's not king of my life. Jesus is king of my life. So I can begin to re-exhibit self-control in it and lead and not just survive, hanging on for when the virus is going to be over and vaccines come, but in fact thrive in this season. So that, that's been my blueprint leading up to the crisis and living in the crisis as a leader. Because the best thing I can give to compassion is not a weak me, but a healthy, uh, a healthy me that still has a soft heart and still can, can think clearly, uh, have a calm mind, calm heart and a clear mind. We've been saying that a lot, a calm heart and a clear mind. That's what people need in their leaders. And, and I'll leave you with this final word. Um, I've been struck how true 
uh, this is. And here, here's what I want to say. In the Chinese language, there are two symbols that reflect the one English word that we use. When we say crisis, in the Chinese language, it takes two symbols to communicate, communicate crisis. The one symbol stands for danger, which is present in every crisis because uh, it wouldn't be a crisis if there wasn't danger. But the second symbol stands for opportunity. So in every crisis, there's the danger and we're responding to that as best we can. But then there's the opportunity as well. What does God want to teach you? What does God want to teach me? What does God want to teach compassion? How does God want to call me to be a part of his kingdom movement in this crisis as a Jesus-led first responder? What does that look like? And then to step in with courage into that opportunity. And that's why we, we've tried to live in that, in that dual reality of danger to be sure, opportunity to be sure. Um, and when we're as leaders, we live in that reality. Our staff and those that look to us, they feel that. And they go, all right, we're going to get through this. We're not going to just survive. We're going to thrive. Boy, if you're a leader, back this up and listen to that again. They, um, hey, Jimmy, first of all, I want to say thank you, not just for this time, but for your vision, for your passion. Um, I have really felt like the, I'll put it this way, the more screwed up everything gets, and it is, the more leaders need to actually lead. Let go of discouragement and lead, get vision and lead, get healthier and lead. You know, but I mean, this is a time for leaders to lead. And you have, you're doing that, man. And we are with you and got your back. One more time, what I want to say to everybody is this. Um, we have a stadium to fill. If we band together, it can happen and an entire future gets created. And so one more time, here's what I want to say is text churches to 83393. You can also, if you're going, hey, I'm driving and writing this stuff down, just go to the Thrive Conference website. It's all right there. Um, the uh, materials there, you can actually connect with us there and we will have a, we will have a link there that will, compact, will connect you directly to Compassion for this whole thing. And Jimmy, I want to, I want to wrap it up by this. Um, and then Bixby, I'm going to have you say whatever you want and close in prayer. Um, the, we had, um, in my office is a picture and it took two years to get this picture. Um, what happened is I took, I take a bunch of pastors every year overseas with compassion just to get them infected with compassion national. And we, we were in Mathari and which is two by two. I mean, you've been there. It's two miles by two miles. It's, it's probably the most poverty area I've ever been in. And and there is a beacon of light church in the middle of the whole thing with 300 compassion kids in there. And they are the most vibrant, healthy, got a future. I mean, and I'm in this built, I'm in this church. Now this church has got like all they all do. They've got gates in the front. And so you go through these gates, the gates are closed most of the days. And so I'm in there, 300 kids go around, we do a whole program. And then I don't see this until I get back. We had brought one of our business guys, a guy named Steve Wright, and we get back. And Steve's a financial planner. And he comes up to me at church one day and he goes, you have to see this. He said, I'm in there. And he said, I take a picture of the gates. And he shows me the picture. And 300 kids are on this side. They're in the Church. Okay, there, there. This one girl, this forlorn, cute little girl who looked like she was about eight years old, she is holding on to the gates, looking in, but she's outside. And she has this just distraught look on her face. And Steve, a business guy, said, Look at this. He goes, and here was the exact thing. He said, She is on the outside looking at the kids on the inside. And here's what he said to me. He, I can tell you where I was standing in church after a service. He said, and she's got this look on her face like she, these 300 kids just won the lottery and have a future and I'm locked out. And I mean, we're standing there and we're all choked up watching this little girl because I stood there. I never even saw her. 
So I said, get me a copy of this picture. So we got copies of the picture. A year later, I'm back in the same church, same spot. So I go find the I go find the pastor of the church, and then I find a couple people from the community, and I say, can you find me this girl? It took all day, okay? Finally, four o'clock in the afternoon, they bring this girl in and they tell me her story. Her mom had died, her dad had died. Her, living with her grandparents, her grandfather had died. She'd been passed around to people, just sort of eating scraps, trying to stay alive. And, um, and we got her a sponsor. They made an exception and made her the 301st compassion kid in this church. And these women from our church made her dresses and all that kind of stuff. And she is thriving um, on the other side of the gate. Matter of fact, yeah, if you're watching this, there's the picture. And we'll put this picture up on the website as well. That's her grip. You can see the look on her face. She's gripping the gate wanting in. Okay, We have 70,000 of these kids right now. And they are on the outside of a stadium looking in. And all we have got to do is get them on the other side of these gates and get them in. And they, and their entire life gets made. Okay. And so I do not work for Compassion National. Compassion National does not pay me. I consider this um, when God gives you a ministry, the question shouldn't just be, what are we trying to do? The question should be, God gave us this ministry. What are we trying to make happen? Because, and this is the easiest thing in the world to make happen. You can do it on Christmas Eve. You can do it as a person. You can do it with your family. You can do it as a small group. But I just, one more time, I just want to say this. Text the word churches to 83393 and respond. And so, Jimmy, I want to say thank you for your time, man. It's, it, you have a worldwide impact, and it's a privilege to be partnered up to you. Well, thanks again to Ray and Jimmy for that conversation. You can uh, find Jimmy Miato on all the, uh, all the outlets. You can also find Compassion online, Compassion.com. We'd love for you to jump in and sponsor the child. Be part of the work they're doing. We are, uh, we are big fans and, and partners with Compassion, so uh, we'd love for you to get involved and you heard them talking about some of the ways we can do that even at the end of the year. So let's jump in, leaders. Let's, let's make a difference. So on behalf of Ray Johnston, Jimmy Miato, and the entire team that's part of the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being a part of this journey and this family. And uh, we'd love for you to, uh, to share this with your friends. So please do that. And as always, we want you to be a healthy leader with a thriving church. So That's our goal. We hope we've accomplished that on this episode. And until the next episode, we'll talk to you soon. This is the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast.